Well, take take it away. Take it away, man. Just go for this, man. Okay. Take it, sure. run. I knew when I uh, said I'd be taking the reins on this one, I just wasn't really, we didn't really establish who would do the, the saying hello, because I, I just didn't even know what to do there. But, oh, it uh, just means, no, 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 that means that in this episode, I will be <laughs> smiling and nodding. Um, <laughs> and that's kind of it. the extent of my, yeah, yeah, I think so. <laughs> so. So for the video stream, it'll be great for the audio mm-hmm. version. It might seem a little weird. Yes. The, Some um, awkward, yeah. awkward silences. Yeah, the video stream that for some reason we should stick it on our Patreon. For some reason, the only place it lands is on Carl's OnlyFans, and I don't know. I haven't seen a kickback. I don't know if it's super unpopular. Like I don't know what the deal on that is, but that's it's on my list of things I gotta ask him about. There's a lot to break down there, but we won't. (laughs) (laughs) We're just gonna steer the hell clear of that. Hello and welcome. Welcome to the Movie Men Podcast. I am Peter, and uh, that guy there is Brady. Yeah. See, th- you yeah. throw me off. Don't Couldn't try to unpack think- it any further. That's No, just, I can't. It's just that guy there. Just going to poke it with a stick and walk away. Yeah. Uh, yeah, we're here. We're a new release. New release season is upon us. We've had some. We've got some coming. And this is no different. We are talking Indiana Jones and the Dial of Destiny. 2023 mm-hmm. film mm-hmm. um a big film for a lot of mm-hmm. people for a lot of different reasons and um yeah I, you know i'll let the cat out of the bag i am going to lead this episode a bit more i'm going to kind of steer the conversations um only mainly because i i you you're into this i assume because you're here talking with me but i, I know i know for a fact i grew up with these films a lot more so this there's a lot of things oh, in, that I kind of Indiana Jones, you mean? Yes. Like I mean, I thought you meant like I'm into the idea of you taking the reins. I was like, dude, let it go. Oh, like just no, just do it. <laughs> no, 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 no. I'm into Indiana Jones. I should say more than you are. At least I've grown up. Like I've kind of watched it for decades. Uh, kind of mm. grew up with it. Um, kind of have a nostalgic place in my mind. So this. This is for like many fans and many film go- film viewers. This movie is a bit of a bookend for an era, and um, as a result, there was a, just kind of I felt more strongly guided to to kind of lead the 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 episode. So yeah. it'll be a bit different than normal, but it'll be pretty much the same. So I went in. I went into it not it like it not into the film. I went into this whole. Knowing mm-hmm. that we were going to do Indiana Jones, not really all that. Like I didn't care. <laughs> I was like, eh, 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 you know. Uh, but then leading up to watching it, because I hadn't seen at least one of them, and I hadn't seen, um, like I don't think I'd seen Temple of Doom. Mm. And I hadn't seen Kingdom of the Crystal Skull since it came out, blah, blah, blah. So right. leading up to it, binged all of them. Hmm. That's cool. And then as a result, I don't think I could have been more excited to go see really? Dial That's of Destiny. Exciting. Yeah. Like I was just so, I was like, man, like the moments, like when he puts it, when you pans over and you see him and it goes, ba, 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 it like mm. that. And I said, you know, 
I, I just know there's going to be a moment where we're traveling somewhere and you see the map with the red line going mm-hmm. and like all yep. these little Indiana Jones isms, tropes, isms yep. that, yep. Uh, that I'd come to know and love over the span of like a week and a half. Like it wasn't very, <laughs> you know, but, um, <laughs> but yeah, really, really, really went into this excited. Yeah, that's cool. It was weird. It was weird. I've never become as big a fan of something <laughs> that quickly. <laughs> that's it's kind of cool. It's yeah, cool. Okay, well, basically, I, I think in a nutshell, there'll be kind of four different sections, and the biggest section naturally will be the film review section. But just kind of giving an outline, the four things I want to hit on are there'll be a reason why. I've got a point why we'll do this, and it makes sense naturally. But I want to do kind of like a little rapid-fire section where we go over each of the four preceding films, and you say, yeah, like, that's my favorite, that's my least favorite, just to kind of, I want to gauge a temperature on both our impressions of the film. So that'll be the first section. The second section, we'll, like, we'll review the film itself. That's no different than any other episode. So I've got a few categories. It's not going to be formal, like Mission Impossible, like, you know, whip moments okay i gave that a seven out of ten because he he whipped this and did that like but i'll just kind of we'll go through different aspects you know what is it what was done well what was not done well did this work did that work so i'll kind of guide us through that the third and i feel like has a lot of room to breathe and this might be more a section that you kind of fuel and and lead on but we've got some Conversation opportunities for some kind of time loop, quantum physics, you know, time travel-ish elements. And um, and then the final thing we'll wrap it on is kind of just a funny uh, kind of topic, kind of based on Big Bang. If uh, many people have seen it, many people will know what I'm referring to. The whole, uh, if Indiana Jones has any outcome, influence on the outcome of his stories. But I kind of want to extrapolate that from Big Bang Theory. But we'll get to that. And, um, that, that's kind of where I want to go in a nutshell. So, so should we just get into it? Yeah, let's do it. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So I, I, I'm trying to figure a way to do this because you could do like a whole, you know, we do ranking episodes. Anyone could do a whole episode on ranking episodes. And I kind of want to just briefly touch on things. So I think let's just go chronologically would it make that most sense? I want to go chronologically when the movies came out. So say, for example, we'll just chat Raiders of the Lost Ark. I'll be like, yeah, that's my favorite. You'll be like, hey, that's my least favorite. Kind of just touch on it and then we'll move on to the next one and kind of go from there just to kind of gauge our, if we're hot or cold on a certain film. Does that work for you? Sure. All right. Raiders of the Lost Ark, what do you think of it? Um, I think Raiders of the Lost Ark is dated. In a lot of ways. Sure. Um, I think that even for the time, um, like even if you compare it to Temple of Doom, which came out not long after, mm. um, the from an effect standpoint, I think Raiders of the Lost Ark comes across, even for its time, <laughs> feeling a little low budget, even okay. though it wasn't. Um, but all in all, I mean, it introduces an incredible character yeah. It has John Williams music that makes oh, it so spectacular. Um, and it deals with, it deals with, um, 
a topic or a MacGuffin that I think is, I mean, interesting to me, but not just for religious reasons, but I think interesting sure. to people in general because the Ark of the Covenant is something that is has been prominent in a lot of media, right? Mm. It's it's something the search for the Ark. It's this big, you know, it's it, it's it's not something that that only takes place in Raiders of the Lost Ark, right? They're just tapping into something that has been this this big topic for for well millennia at this point so <laughs> yeah yeah would you just would you say it's your favorite bottom of the barrel or somewhere in the middle of the four uh somewhere in the middle cool cool i would mirror everything you said you know i the only thing i would change is i think it's well actually looking if i had to rank it it is my favorite of the of the five okay okay um and my oh, hot wow. take okay. and it's, of the five. So I, well, oh, okay. Sorry, I shouldn't say that. Of the four we're talking about right now, it's my favorite. You're spilling some Dial Ooh. of Destiny deets here. Also, I I didn't say this, but we will be spoiling Dial of Destiny. So if that's a oh, problem to the listener, the hell out of it. Yeah, hit, hit pause yeah, yeah. and come back once you've seen it. Like that goes without saying. And we will probably spoil the other four. Like I'm not gonna shadow or like camouflage if we spoil anything in that. That's nah, all fair game. Know. It's been like 30, 40 um, years. My hot take is, I don't know if there's a perfect Indiana Jones films. I guess we'll get into in the next minute or two going over these films. They all have their flaws and warts. And I think my just general impression that I've come to watch is there's ones that are good. And that if I had to say you have to only watch one Indiana Jones, I could probably insert the blank and say do that one. But I feel in general, like I feel the sum is better than the individual parts. Like I feel the intellectual mm. property is better. So when you think of him in the spectrum of, or like in the time span of all the five movies, there's something in every single movie that's good. And in each individual movie isn't perfect, but the character is just a fun ride. And even in the worst of the five movies, there's there's elements to the character and moments that are, that are juicy. But back to Raiders, I would say it's my favorite of the original four. I just everything about it is cliche until you peel back the the curtain and you go you know what this made these tropes cliche you know it was so kind of unique at the time and he's such a smart and adventurous character but at the same time unlike James Bond unlike other action heroes he's just a guy and he has very clear limitations. He has mm. fears, clearly, like not just snakes, but of just like, he, he's, he's not invincible. Very rough around the edges. And he makes, he's relatable because he just kind of gets by on the skin of his teeth. And, you know, I think, I think for that reason, Raiders is kind of rough, but it's my favorite of, of all of them. It's so original to, to mm-hmm. the time and of the series. So Raiders is at the top for me. Okay. Um, so next chronologically is Temple of Doom. What do you think about that? Uh, I don't think that there is a supporting character as good as Short Round. I think Short I, Round I, uh... is just fun. And I think it's one of those fun, like, yeah, they do describe, they or they do explain it a little bit, but Indy's relationship with Short Round is just kind of one of those fun things that doesn't even need explanation. You're just like, mm. he's his 
quippy little kid that, you know, is constantly pulling Indy's ass out of trouble and <laughs> yeah. and dri- driving the getaway car and and it's yeah. just there's something there's something fun about that um and even just like in their moments of embrace when they're near death and they've made it and he's somewhat of a paternal figure and yeah. it's not perfect you know I'm not sure I would want you know my child being witness to all the stuff that Indy takes him on for by no. any means but he does but at still- times he says don't look Turn around, cover your eyes. Yeah, but there's still like a protective parental relationship there, and there's something heartwarming about it. Mm -hmm. Um, I don't think that the... So, contrastly, I don't think that the love interest could be more irritating than she is. I feel Um, bad how poorly written it was. It's so... She's just meant to be annoying. She's meant to be difficult and ditzy and... And the and only line, very city mouse, <laughs> and the only moments of witty, somewhat passable dialogue that aren't just screams and stupidity, are in a almost but not quite sex scene, and so it's just a very poorly written role. I feel yeah, bad. but then it, but then it turns back very quickly, right? Where she's oh, where yeah. oh, he's she's been attacked to- and he's checking her room and stuff, and she's too yeah. stupid to get like <laughs> she doesn't get it. Yeah. Um. All in all, though, I would say, like, I think visual effects are better. I think it feels much more updated than Mm -hmm. Raiders does. Um, But I think for myself and probably the general public, um, it's just a MacGuffin that nobody cares about. It's, (laughs) It's just, it doesn't have that same... Oomph. King Arthur, Sword in the Stone, mm, yeah, yeah, Lost Covenant, like, it, yeah, it just doesn't have as it's not as prominent in our day to day North American mythology. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that, and I get like the film doesn't take place in North America. That's fine, sure. but yeah. that is the majority of your audience. Yeah, yeah. So it is something worth taking into account. So I yeah. it and it's. It's probably, uh, I don't know. It's either tied for last place. <laughs> it's either second last, last, or tied for last. I'm not yeah. sure, but it's yep. it's at it's near the bottom. It's near the bottom. That's fair. I would I would mirror that. It is the bottom for me. Like I said, there's still elements that I enjoy. Some Indiana moments. Some some character yep. moments. Um, but overall, like you're right, the, the treasure in it is very, just a different tone mm-hmm. and the whole movie itself is a different tone. I mean, I, I, one of the reasons I have this movie near the bottom is just because how dark it is in tone and it didn't really age well. I mean, not just the whole human sacrifices elements, but like the child slavery elements. And I, for me, I get it. It's still an action adventure movie, but it's so dark that at times it's not quite just action. Like it's got some other components in there. Um, I will concede that this film will go down as the film that made me Google the culinary history of monkey brains. <laughs> well, if that's not something, I and will to say- discover that it, it it's 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 not something made up for the film. Like that's a thing. Interesting. Oh yeah. Interesting. Um, I will say a feather in the cap. 
I feel the film is stronger. Mm. That it's not just a treasure hunt, but a rescue mission in a way. Because yeah, and I know I'm talking like I don't. I won't get too deep into the weeds of the movie, but you know, it it there's a bit more to hang your hat on when he's coming home with the children than versus just these inanimate objects. So yeah, but that's he kind of stumbles into that, right? Like that. Oh, you I know. It, it's very much so. You're right. Like he he went for the, all the wrong reasons. He wasn't going yeah. for the kids. He went for fortune and glory. But yeah. He ends up leaving for something else. It's, Although so. I will, I will say, talking about like going for all the wrong reasons. One of the things about the Indiana Jones franchise that I fell in love with while doing this binge watch is the juxtaposition or the sort of the dynamic of the fact that he is also just a paleontology teacher. Hmm. Right? Or archaeology. Archaeologist Archaeology, yeah. Yeah. You know? And so there's something fun in this, like, double life moonlighting as Indiana Jones, the wild adventurer. Like, I I really, really, really love that dynamic of, you know, he's always just there teaching a class, (laughs) and then Buddy shows up, Marcus shows up, and he's like, hey. I got it. I this I we got we got a lead on something. You got to go get <laughs> shot at and do all these things, right? He's like, a weekend things, warrior. The yeah. things that Indy does in the name of museum exhibits is just phenomenal. Yeah. All right. Next chronologically, the Last Crusade. What are your thoughts on this? I think that the Last Crusade. Is I think the MacGuffin is much better in this one, much better. I think of course. probably my favorite MacGuffin. Sure, uh, because it is like in sort of a self-referential way, it is the holy grail of MacGuffin. <laughs> right, it really is. It is like it yeah. does not, you know, like with the exception of maybe had they been going after the real Excalibur, it is the MacGuffin. Yeah. And so, and I think it proves, I think the fact that they went back to something that um, had the same sort of cultural and religious ties to what the Ark of the Covenant did in the first Indiana Jones film, I think that it speaks to them realizing, I think it was a course correction. I think it was a very intentional and successful course correction. I think they realized yeah. that people didn't care as much about the plot of Temple of Doom. Yeah. Um, so there's that. Or the darkness. Or, the, yeah, well, yeah. No, um, I, like quite clearly, because if you put them next to... It's much to, lighter. Well, it is, it's like, it's almost Charlie Chaplin-esque of slapstick humor and, you know, lightness compared to Temple of Doom. And I'm not, yeah. in a good way, like no, in no, a good way. Yeah, for it sure. works, but... Um, you see a lot more Nazis in this one. Like they really kind of leaned into <laughs> like what worked in the first one. Let's Nazi do it uniforms. Again. And I've said it before and I'll say it again. I think Indiana Jones is, I think one of the issues with kingdom of the crystal skull, not the only issue, but one of sure. the issues is that Indy is at his best when he's fighting Nazis. 
Because he just has this deep-seated hatred for Nazis. And spoiler alert, like, that is what made this fifth one interesting, that we reverted to that. Yeah, that they brought that back. It's a good Um, point. And so, and then obviously the genius inclusion of Sean Connery as (laughs) Henry Jones Sr., Mm -hmm. uh, it's just, yeah, I I would say... Which which is ironic because of... Steven Spielberg wanting to make a James Bond film, so yes. he actually had Sean Connery in the movie. Mm-hmm. Uh, hands down, of the original four, um, The Last Crusade, I think, is my favorite. That's fair. Yeah, yep. and it's got like a cool... I'm not a big Western guy, no. but there's whole sections of this film that are very mm. almost old cowboy film. Right. Right? Indy spends a lot of time on a horse. Hmm. And they're kind of out in that like mm-hmm. old west kind of environment. So yeah, yeah. that's cool. I don't know. I really like it. I, I this is my second favorite of the four, and it it got a lot of. I didn't realize this. I just assumed it was always just a treasured classic. It got a lot of ripped ripping on by film critics at the time. Um. And its main critique at the time was just, hey, you know, this is a rinse and repeat of Raiders of the Lost Ark. And in Mm. some ways, maybe I could see that, you know, like you said, the Nazis are back. Like you said, we found a treasure. Like you said, you know, some things are repeated. But I think what stands out above all the rest is it's not really a treasure hunt movie at all. He, He doesn't really care about the grail from the beginning. He's going is a a means to find his father because his father was looking for the grail and his father went missing. So for him to find the grail is how he's going to track down his dad. So his, is Steven Spielberg said his father was the rarest antiquity. It wasn't the, you know, the Ark wasn't the rarest. It was his father, someone he wanted a relationship with. So I feel like it's a very interesting uh, movie because of that. And, I've listened to some things and I really want to see the Fablemans now because I've read a lot of things that Steven Spielberg really put a lot of his own life elements into, say, The Last Crusade. And so now I've really just been curious about the Fablemans and wanting to kind of, I've heard good things and I'm just interested to kind of connect those puzzle pieces. But It's good. I recommend it. But yeah, Last Crusade is second place for me. Mm Mm-hmm. So next in line is our uh, Kingdom of the Crystal Skull, 2008. What do you yeah, think? Yeah, King, Kingdom of the Crystal Skull, that's the one that would either flip-flop or be tied okay. with Temple of Doom for last place. Yep. Um, I, I'm i not a hater of Shia LaBeouf, but I don't like his character in this. Sure. I don't like. I don't dislike the idea of his character. No. I just don't like his... I just don't like his performance in this or how his character was written or something. Something about Shia There's, LaBeouf in this. Yeah. Just rubs just something's me a, funny. Yeah. Something's a bit off. Um, obviously, the um, the return of Marion is fantastic. Yeah. Right? All those years later, same actress. Um, and it took, it took me a couple minutes to realize like <gasps> oh cool it's the same person yeah <laughs> yeah so that was that's kind of cool um obviously you know again although we're not um uh although we're not rocking nazis at this point kate blanchett <laughs> i mean 
uh, she's great in everything. It's a weird role for her. It is weird. Yep. Some of the CGI in this movie is very janky. Yeah. I don't have a problem with, they're not aliens, they're extra dimensional beings. Sure. I don't have an issue with that, especially like, you know, you look at the, people go, it's ridiculous for an Indiana Jones movie. And I'm like, I'm sorry, have you, like, are you even aware of the events that have taken place prior to... (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> right now in Indy's life like yeah you know um <laughs> but i will say the massive spaceship coming up out of the ground that was a bit much mm-hmm. they took that a little too far and you're like okay now at this point we're just we're just trying to have fun with cgi we're just <laughs> testing the limits of cgi aren't we george um <laughs> <laughs> you know, I mean, and poor Stevens just there kind of <laughs> holding the bag, going along with, you know, uh, we have Jim Broadbent, who I really like. I really love Jim Broadbent. So seeing him in this is is fantastic. We have John Hurt as Professor Oxley, as the crazy needing to be brought back from the, the edge ox because he's mm-hmm. been so taken over by this... Um, by this crystal skull. Um, but really the one scene in it that just like, I just, the whole surviving the nuclear bomb in the fridge. And you know what? I'm fine with the whole, like they looked at, they did their due diligence in showing that the fridge was lined with lead and blah, mm-hmm. blah, blah. So it kind of, and so I don't even have a problem with the notion of him surviving a nuclear bomb in mm-hmm. a fridge. It's how far that fridge is thrown. Like, the guy would have just died from impact. Mm-hmm. I mean, and listen, I will take this argument completely. I'm not, like, a fridge explosion apologist. I will just say, I mean, the guy jumps out of a raft in Temple of Doom and lands on the ground and isn't a pancake. So, I mean, yeah, but the, it's not it- a stretch. It's, but the idea was that there was enough wind resistance and blah, blah, and that's been disproven. Like, that thing would have flipped uh, yeah. and tumbled and they would have died instantly. For right? sure. But I'm just saying. It just, you know, the fact that this fridge landed completely intact yeah. after getting hurled in, like, creates a crater in the ground. It hits <laughs> the ground so hard. Like, yeah, uh, yeah I don't know. Yeah. It's bad. It is. Yeah. It's a bad movie. Um but I think I said last week or the week before when you and I were talking, mm-hmm. it's it is the poor execution of several really good ideas. Mm-hmm. You know, so that's that's kind of where I fall on that. Yeah, it's my it's tied with Temple of Doom for my least favorite, and there's some things I like better than Temple of Doom, but. Um, I'm with you on a lot of things. You know, it's 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 a little rough around the edges and a little not quite finished, I guess, as I would say. There's an interesting quote that I remember, and it's specifically pre-2008. I think it was from the 90s where Steven Spielberg was talking about if he would ever potentially do a fourth Indiana Jones. And he said, I'm being very prejudicial with the story of the fourth movie. I just don't want to leave a bad taste in anyone's mouth. And I won't say Oof. that that movie left a bad taste in my mouth, but holy hell, did it leave a bad taste in a lot of people's mouths. So mm-hmm. I just, 
I, you know, I watched that quote retrospectively from the 90s and I went, whoa, did you? Okay. I think the things that bother me the most are more minor things as far as plot are concerned. It's not plot related, but it's fundamental for me. So what bothers me, aside from a lot of the things you mentioned, Kate Blanchett, for some reason, is amazing in general, but that role does not work for me. But what the biggest thing that bothers me is the clean costumes. So you have Indiana Jones, who just comes out of the the temple, which was a flying saucer, which was covered in cobwebs, and he, he comes shot out, and then they're all sitting there, and you look at his shirt, and it's pristinely clean, and his jacket is pristinely clean. Yep, yep, and so that's on what my works, list. What works is, for the 80s ones, is just how gritty he looks. So you see the dust on his hat. For me, the visuals in Crystal Skull were just far too bright. Again, compared to the 80s ones, you know, they're far more dim as far as the lighting and cinematography. So that bothered me. And for a film, I thought it was just all shot on a blue screen on a lot. Turns out Crystal Skull was filmed a lot on location, and it looks awful. Like, it doesn't even look real. So Mm -hmm. all those things bother me. And I think of all the movies, and what I'll say worked for number five, and we'll get to it when we get to it. And number four, there's no tension at the end. I mean, it's a boring treasure room sequence. It's a boring treasure room resolution. You're just kind of, at that point, going through the motions for me, and I felt no tension, and I there's not much stake at state for me. So, anyway, Crystal Skull, like I said, all five films have elements that are good. Crystal Skull's no different, but it's at the bottom, or near the I, bottom for me. I do want to point out, because you brought up, I wasn't going to bring up the clothing thing Yeah, yeah. from Crystal Skull, but you yeah. brought it up, so it's worth, it's worth mentioning, I think. Yeah. Not only are his pants always pristine. In Crystal Skull. In Crystal Skull. But for some reason in Crystal Skull, they gave him, like if you look at images of his outfit, look at images of him in Crystal Skull, his pants are super pleated in the front. They gave him (laughs) pleats. And it just like, he's... rest like an old guy right like he's kind of got like brown pleated dress pants on instead of like his hmm. brown like work pant type right. cowboy ranch pants that he would wear <laughs> farmer right. cowboy pants yeah and so he just looks like he's dressed like a grandfather he's dressed <laughs> like an old guy and so it just and that just felt unnecessary like the whole time he just felt like yeah it made him seem extra delicate somehow or I right don't know. yeah yeah it's bothersome to me too but the manufacturer of that hat by the way <laughs> considering he got it when he was a you know back mm. when he looked an awful lot like river phoenix yeah and and the fact that even again leading into Dial of Destiny, mm-hmm. the fact that that hat has not got any holes—it's pretty impressive. It hasn't lost any of its like appropriate like folds or creases. Right, man. Speaking of that hat, don't make them like they used to. Speaking of that hat, something that I thought was interesting—that I wish this was the case. Apparently, in last crusade one story aspect that they were going to pursue 
was the man who gave him that hat was actually going to be Marion Ravenwood's father. And that's how he met the, the father. And then eventually that's how he would meet Marion. And there would be this whole backstory of like him idolizing this guy because he hated Sean Connery, his dad so much. And that yeah. would explain why he, you know, was the way he was. And I thought that just would have been so deep and connecting the dots, but it just, they ended up not doing that. And he's just a guy who gave him a hat. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. Hmm. Yeah. Anyway, let's talk about the film we're here to talk about. Mm-hmm. So, Dial of Destiny. Let's do our initial impressions. What do you think? I want to love this film. Uh-oh. 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 Like, I really want to love it. Okay. Um, but there's a whole section of our review tonight that I'm going to be very vocal about. Okay. Not even necessarily in a, in, in a negative way, okay. but but I really want to have like a, a deep sort of educated sure. theology, astrophysics, Dang. thermodynamics kind of conversation with you. Ooh. And because I've been doing a lot of research, um, I would say, I would <laughs> since say, we've, since we've talked, you've got your PhD. I would say no. And I, and you know what? I'm by no means an expert, but no, no, no. with the amount of reading that I've done, I was thinking about this the other day. Hmm. I now have enough knowledge about temporal paradoxes and time <laughs> travel theory and the laws of thermodynamics <laughs> and, and whatever else mm-hmm. that. For the rest of my life, in most rooms that I walk into, <laughs> whether it be Christmas parties, Walmart, <laughs> you know, whatever, <laughs> I've I've may very well be the leading expert. I I feel like at least on this show that's going to be the case. Which, but in to be fair, it doesn't take very much under. It doesn't take reading into the different right. temporal paradox theories very much to suddenly become the leading expert <laughs> yeah. in many situations on it. Mm-hmm. But mm-hmm. Um, there's some there's some plot hole potentials. There's there's the potential for. A really sticky, ugly, disgusting, in-your-face, obnoxious plot hole. Hmm. Okay. And if we're able to rectify that, if we're able to come to a place where (sighs) we've talked it out and it makes sense, then I love this movie. Sure. Then, Then it's probably my favorite Indiana Jones film. If we can't, however, if this remains, because I walked out and I was ecstatic. I was like, ah, that was amazing. And then it was just one thing. And then the more I thought about it and the more it began to unravel, the the more I had issue with the film. Because I was like, I really want to love this. I really want to love this. Hmm. But there's one big problem that the more I think about it becomes bigger and bigger and uglier and and just feels like lazy, awful writing and and was nobody paying attention? Like, what? I don't understand how you could let this slip past. So, 
Hmm. If we can solve it, I think this is my favorite Indiana Jones film. If okay. not, then it's still probably my second or third favorite. But it, but it, but it won't get the love that I want to give it. Okay. Okay. Wow, that's uh, that's quite something. My initial impressions: I've seen this movie twice. I've seen it twice, so I've had some time to think about it. I would say it's not a classic, not like the other original three. And to have that expectation would be unrealistic. But I do think it's a really great film. And it was never going to be a movie that I, you know, on the same shelf as I've grown up with for 30 years. Mm -hmm. But even more than Last Crusade, where there's the whole father-son dynamic, this is the most humanized we've ever had Indiana Jones. Mm -hmm. And... um. I definitely think it's better than Crystal Skull, clearly. Um, even though I think that film gets too much hate, there's elements that I like, but it's clearly better than Crystal Skull. I would say I found at times there is a bit of over-reliance on CGI, and we're not talking about aging. We'll talk about that kind of stuff later. I'm talking about still like some explosion scenes where instead of saying the original trilogy, if there's a explosion, you see the dummy flying and like a physical motorcycle flying. And in the beginning, when we have bombs kind of exploding and, you know, splinters of wood going everywhere, there's still, I just a miss for the practical effects. Mm-hmm. And so, um, in chase sequences, I missed that. But I will just say the climax of this film was so good. It had stakes. Even the second time, I was so invested and interested. So, I feel like the first 20 minutes is perfect. The last 30 minutes is perfect gets a bit long in the middle gets a little bit of a lull in the middle but overall it's a good film Mm -hmm. so i will say two things yeah one is because you've touched on both of them that's (laughs) kind of my i'm like i got all these things i want to say i don't know when i'm going to say them so i'm as soon as pete (laughs) yeah like nods at them i'm just gonna (laughs) that's my time yeah um there is something to i i i can see where you're coming from with the over-reliance on cgi I don't think it's. I don't think it looks bad. I don't think it's bad CGI. But there's, there was there was one lot. scene. The one scene where you see him running on a train at the beginning. Mm-hmm. Something about it just looked a bit janky. Okay, the one thing I will say when it comes to explosions and and splinters flying and all this stuff, there is something to be said for the notion that nobody nobody ever gets injured while doing cgi true yep there's a yeah there's reason there's a lot of like safety reasons why hey you know what if we can avoid actually blowing this shit up (laughs) that's that's a really good point like just calm down christopher nolan yeah because did you do you know the thing about oppenheimer uh i i know for a fact i don't i don't know where you're going but i just realized how into practical effects he was where he there was like a 500 acre field of corn that he planted for interstellar and instead of just instead of just using like a lot or like a a cgi or just you know doing something that was way easier he literally planted 500 acres of corn and so for like a two minute scene in oppenheimer and you can there's video behind the scenes videos and all this stuff he's talked about it in interviews it's like you know (laughs) 
fact check the hell out of this. In Oppenheimer, <laughs> because Chris Nolan doesn't like CGI, the nuke scene <laughs> is a real bomb. It's a real explosion. <laughs> Come on. That's wild. Yes. Yeah. It's, it's a nice. real nuclear bomb. <laughs> so, um, so I'll say that. The other thing you were talking about the last 30 minutes of this film. Hmm. All of my issues that may or may not get resolved aside. Mm. This was the perfect ending to Indiana Jones's story. This was like the chef's kiss of all chef's kisses. Mm -hmm. His final moments on scene, especially the callback to where does it hurt? The little kissing oh. game thing that they did with Marion. I had goosebumps. I was tearing up. I teared I up. I was like, this is flawless. I will agree. I think it could have hand been handled a touch better. I just being nitpicky, I didn't appreciate how we had this incredibly electric moment then interject with watching people that we don't care as much about getting ice cream to then him grabbing his head. I feel like it could have just been a bit more smoothened out as a like to to wrap it up at the end. That that was the sure. only problem. I mean, it was just emotionally incredible and then had that random interjection in there. That would be my only problem. But I agree. It, sure. And it's true like we don't know who a lot of these kids are. Yeah. But let's not forget that um John Reese Davies is amongst them getting ice cream. Fair. And we care about him. Technicality, you got me. Yeah. Okay. Right. So I'll just quickly wrap up for it. So I'm going to, just to give you an idea of where you can, where we're going here. I want to talk about what's good. I want to talk about what could have been better. And then why don't we say, we'll talk about your, your time problems. And then once <laughs> we're done that, We'll if say, we have time. It, it, is this a good film? Sure. Because I feel like we can't answer if it's a good film until we do that. So that's what we'll do. Absolutely. We'll touch on uh, is a section, the anti-aging. And I uh, then we'll kind of say where this leaves our perception of the Indiana Jones franchise, where this ranks in your James Mangold por portfolio. And then mm -hmm. we'll touch on the soundtrack. So some of these will be more rapid fire. Some of them will not be rapid fire because there's a lot to get into. But that's just where we're going to go. So S spoiler alert, nothing is going to dethrone Walk the Line. There it is. Just, I'll tell you that right now. So what's good in this film for me are very brief, but very important. So okay. for me, I am going to plant my flag in this. I loved having a strong female lead. And here, I'm looking at you, Temple of Doom. <laughs> that really worked for me. I really loved having a softer indie, a more human indie than we've ever seen. And an indie who we see has learned from things and has changed from things. So, And, and who doesn't love Phoebe Waller-Bridge? I mean... She's great. She's so good. Yeah. Um, I'd say what is good in this film is the villain for me. I think he's an improvement than uh, Kate Blanchett. God bless her. Um, 
Well, I mean, I've, you're also just, you <laughs> worship at the altar of Mads Mikkelsen. He's so good. He's so Let's, good. We should review Casino Royale next. Um, <laughs> I do think it's weird. I do think it's weird. Like, just yes or no. Do you think his demise was a bit quick? Because in the past, with every single villain, like, we've got, like, heads exploding, turning into zombies, like, getting eaten by alligators. With Mads Mikkelsen, metaphorically, he kind of just passed quietly in the night. I would say I would say yes, if not for the fact that his demise was at his own hands. Fair. Yep. That it was his doing. And so I think there's a layer added to that. Like if Indy had been the one to take him down and, right. and it was it was by no mm. stupidity or no greed or no foolish ambition of yep. Dr. Voller. Then I would agree, but because he went down by his own hand, um, you know, it, it like all you would have needed to see is him getting shot with an arrow, and 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 that's it. That his that messing with time and trying to do what he did, um, led to that he didn't he didn't understand the powers he was messing with. Right, he wasn't prepared for the consequences of what he was doing. Um, I already touched on the climax and the final stakes working for me. Unlike Crystal Skull, I was really dialed in at the end. But just generally speaking, I really loved this time period and Indiana Jones not really fitting in with it. And that just really mm-hmm. worked for me. He was a fish out of his water. He was just so used to the world that he lived in in the 30s where he was in his prime. And now to see him where he hasn't really adjusted to what the new zeitgeist is at the time that really worked for me. So those are all, that's it. That's what I would say is good. And it works for me. And they're all quick, small things, but they're all important things. Mm-hmm. What, what worked for you in this? Um, one for sure would be the cast. I mean, we've already kind yeah. of touched a little bit like Phoebe Waller bridge. She's um, really but just running down it real quick. Obviously John Reese Davies is back. We'll get Karen- into this in my like problems i would say yeah he's back but he's a little underused he is but uh, but i would say again i would say that he would be underused if not for his dialogue where he's like take me with you indiana like i i miss the mountains and i miss the the, this and miss the that and and indy like makes sense of it to him why like no no you gotta stay home sit this out for me, that made it worse because I don't understand why he had to stay at home. Like that, that voice clip was from the trailer, so I thought, oh, for sure they're coming along together. Yeah, the whole uh, "give them hell, Indiana." Yeah, yeah, um, yeah. I don't know. I just think that, like, you know, John Reese Davies in this, his character is just as old as mm. Indiana Jones is, and. Indiana Jones is cut from a different cloth, right? Like, (laughs) the reality of it is, is that John Rhys-Davies' character, what is it, Salah? Salah? Yep, yep. uh, Is too old to, like, he's going to die if he goes on this. Like, he's just, he's too old. Even Indy shouldn't be doing it, but he's Indy. Right. Right? So, you know. No, it's fair. It's fair. Um, Karen Allen is back as Marion right at the end there. Yeah. 
Uh, surprised to see, and I don't know if he was in the trailer, wasn't in the trailer, I just missed him. Surprised to see Antonio Banderas. I was also surprised. I, I did a double take. I know, like, I, because he's, he, they've got him done up a little bit there, and mm. so I wasn't, it wasn't like an instant, oh, it's Antonio, but I was like, hold on a sec. <laughs> Wait <laughs> is a that, minute. Is that, is it? It is. Yeah. Um, so there's that. Uh, Toby Jones as Basil Shaw, like Toby Jones is so good and everything, just just in everything. Like, he's I a think funny... he's very punchable. You you don't like Toby Jones? I not not as much as you apparently. Okay, <laughs> jeez. Uh, and then I'm a big fan of Thomas Kretschmann, um, who in this plays Colonel Weber, and Thomas Kretschmann. Is the guy is, who plays a Nazi and everything? Is just born to be a Nazi. He really is. Like every movie, just assume he's a Nazi, right? Like even the stuff that he's not a Nazi in, like because he's in, because he's in the MCU, and he's right. like a I for, oh, I forgot he was, or like Russian, you, you know, whatever. But right. he's like he's a member. Well, no, he's still a member of Hydra, so he's still like a German. Mm. He's Von Strucker or whatever his name is in that. So he's just mm-hmm. like, he's just, he's got the voice and he's got the look and just like, you know, mm-hmm. it's weird because I've never, ever, ever, ever said this about anyone. But you want a good movie, you get Thomas, you slap a swastika on him oh. and <laughs> and you've got a good, you've got a good performance. Like he's just, I, I don't know, I just love him. The guy, I'm sure he's the nicest guy in the world, but he just sure. seems evil. The pianist, uh, Valkyrie, Indiana yeah. Jones, like, I'm already like a, a handful. Cars 2, he plays a Nazi. I mean, <laughs> there's just a lot. Well, everyone in Cars 2 was a Nazi. But I would agree, um, in every role, he's in King Kong, not a Nazi, but a not great a Nazi. role. Every role yeah, he plays is good. Yeah, Captain Eagle... Anglehorn, Eaglehorn, or something. Yeah, 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 um, yeah. If memory serves, but yeah, and that even that's impressive. He's like, I've got the wiki page up, and that's exactly what it is. And yeah. I, as much as I love King Kong 2005, amazing film, I would not have guessed that. So kudos to you. <laughs> um, <clears throat> so yeah, um, so all in all, one of the things that works for me for sure is uh, is this great cast. It's just that's a great a, ensemble cast. Yeah. Um. Other things at work are the callbacks, right? Whether it be things like, you know, bringing bringing a knife to a gunfight, and in, in, in this, Indy brings a whip to a gunfight. Yeah. Um. There's the like as previously mentioned. There's the map with the red line mm. to show traveling. Like that's just to me. That's so good. There's the dynamic between Hannah or Wombat mm. and Indy, right? And and just this kind of like, much like you sometimes see in 007 films, you see in Mission Impossible films, you see whatever, they're working together, they're not working together. They're working mm. together, they're not. She needs him to keep saving her ass, but she <laughs> also keeps backstabbing him and isn't quite ready to concede a truce or a friendship, right? Hmm. Like she's still got her own personal goals that she's after. Um, I do like 
their approach to time travel. Sure. Um, I think I don't have issues with time travel in an Indiana Jones film. I know that prior to this film coming out, the Reddit was was aflamed with <laughs> people, Indiana Jones fans, lifelong <clears throat> Indiana Jones fans who were debating some very upset, some open to it. Um, again, I like it fits the world. Like it's not, mm. it's, it's not a crazy, it's, it's not a crazy concept. No. Um, I like that the dial of destiny, the, um, Oh, what's it called? What's the actual, what's the MacGuffin called? Um, Archimedes trying, no Archimedes compass, Archimedes. Yeah, it was Archimedes that makes it, but it's called I thought the, it was- I thought it was Hi- oh the architecture the hikikatheria right Hang on. yeah Indiana Jones I, this is gonna I I gotta know um, Indiana Jones and the Dial of Destiny the device of question is called the antikathera <clears throat> the antikathera mechanism. Um, and so I, I think that's a cool MacGuffin. I don't it know is. why it's cooler than Temple of Doom because it's it's the Antikythera, um, <clears throat> although it's real and it is unlike many other Indiana Jones MacGuffins. The Antikythera is like we have it sitting in a museum right now. Um, it is hmm. an artifact that has been recovered. That's actually cool. I didn't realize it had been recovered. I I yeah. know embarrassingly little about it. It doesn't look as like in the film. It looks great for being two thousand <laughs> years old um, or twenty five hundred years old. It's like yeah. it's all stoned over and calcimized and stuff like that in real life, but um, mm. and broken up into many pieces. Oh just, crap! I'm two. googling it. It looks like a piece it, of crap. It's rough. It's rough. It's, I'm disappointed. Yeah, but we have it. And and so that's kind of like that's kind of cool. Sure. Um and I liked that they didn't there, there's one or two moments where you kind of look at it and you go really but for the most part they acknowledge and play to the fact that this is an 80-year-old Indiana Jones. Yeah. That when he runs, he runs like an 80-year-old. That when he, he when he's doing these different stunts or car chases or you know whatever it is, he he's not they're not having him do all the same stuff that he did when he was 30. Cuz he can't because he's 80. Then, like I said, there's one yeah. or two moments yeah. where you kind of look at it and you go, ah, really? But maybe. I mean, it's Indiana Jones. Um, but for the most part, I, I feel like they did a good job of, of not asking you to suspend too much disbelief in terms of Indy's involvement in action scenes. So those are those are those are kind of my big ones. And they're good ones. Good calls. Thanks. So what could have been done better? Let me let me run through my grocery list here. I think what I would have liked a bit better was 
using a bit of a simpler expositional intro like Raiders of the Lost Ark. So for me, what works in Raiders and and Last Crusade actually is you get about this 10 minute expositional scene. So in Raiders, it's when they're sitting at the desk in this auditorium and Last Crusade, it's when it's at Donovan's house and you get all the backstory on the legend. You get all the background information you need and you get what you basically get what each character's motivation will be throughout the movie. So this isn't why, but sorry, this isn't why I, you know, like it, but just as an example, if a viewer goes to get a bowl of popcorn in Raiders of the Lost Ark, they can come back and know exactly what each character's motivation still is, why something's happening. You know, the blueprint has been laid out. I think just what I thought was a bit of a drawback in this was you got the history of the dial, you got some backstory of Archimedes, but instead of it being like a really cool all laid out in a 10 minute sequence, it was all kind of piecemeal and fragmented. And I think just, just had a bit of a flow problem for me. I thought I, I oh, will say yeah, that. Yeah. And, and as has always been, and will always be my philosophy. If you get up partway through a movie to go get popcorn, <laughs> that is, um, you're an asshole. That is just a hypothetical. Not saying you should do that. I'm just saying, as an example for the part point of storytelling, there's some there's something magical about Raiders and its simplicity. But uh, like you just des- you deserve if you're one of those people, you deserve to be on like a government list. You're missing like they the should point. be watching you. And going, maybe this guy is a Nazi, because who else, what other horrible human being gets up to go get popcorn? I'll sit through, and this has happened so many times lately. Mm -hmm. Such a beef with the movie theater these days. Every time I'm in the movie theater, someone's talking real loud, or a cell phone's going off, or like, you know, whatever. It's, It's ridiculous. But I will sit through hell in a movie theater without going to get an attendant because I'm not going to miss part of this movie. Not a chance. Not a chance. Because I'm not an asshole or a Nazi. So that's why. Yeah. Um, I felt the cinematography at times or the, the visuals were a bit blurry. And so it was brought to my attention, you know, Certain <laughs> you need to update your glass. You're, you're going to rip on this film because your glasses prescription is out of date? That doesn't seem... <laughs> no. So, this doesn't seem fair. I've seen a lot of stills from the original trilogy. Right. And just freeze frames of just crispness, but also color tones are just so different. Like, in out of contrast, in the parade scene, for example, when I've seen freeze frames of the parade scene... It's just not the same type of cut, the same type of visually sharp component. And that 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 just kind of wasn't my favorite. Um, I've touched on, so I'll quickly say just, yeah, I felt Sala was underused. I felt like he was a glorified Uber driver. Um, and although the ending was good, it did just seem like an emotionally weird, fragmented, you know, amazing, random, grabs the hat back to amazing. Um, and I felt like I just, just expecting something different with the volume of times Mads Mikkelsen said 
I'll see you in the past or, you know, something to that effect. He said it multiple times. I thought, oh boy, we're going to have some crazy stuff going on here where, you know, A, we'll just have our villain time traveling and seeing Indiana Jones at different points, but also just a more clear definition or explanation of how Mickelson survived that train accident. Because holy gosh, if you want to talk about a plot hole. With no scars? With no scars, with no like cerebral damage of just like. That shit hits him in the face. His head should be ripped off for heaven's yep. sakes. Yeah. And like, there's just no explanation of how this happened. It's just like, oh, you look familiar. Like the last time I saw you, I thought you were dead, but. Well, anyway. that's that, that's that Aryan blood, right? That's that Nazi <laughs> blood. It just, the last it just, thing. He heals like a, he heals like Wolverine. He's just got no. <laughs> the last thing, I, it's not so much a critique. I just think it would have been cool. And I'm a nerd about this. I liked how we had the time travel to where we go, and we'll get into the time travel soon enough. Okay with that he went to where he did and that he was always meant to be there. I just think it would have been nerdy and cool that if to get to that ancient Greek, something had gone wrong with the the relic, and Indiana Jones had somehow time-traveled through previous adventures of his own. So like Mm. in MCU Endgame, where you see characters in their own pasts and seeing things from different vantage points. Maybe Indy's like rustling in the bushes of Temple of Doom when he's playing cards with Short Round, or maybe he's doing something and, you know, flying by, uh, you know, the old castle with his, when he's with his father. You know, real, there would have to be some real massaging of A, having it make sense, and B, having it make sense, like from a geographical where he's flying story perspective. But, I th- right. I think there would have been something cool there, but what what do you think could have been done better? Um, I, uh, not a lot. I okay. mean, there's. Uh, do we have a specific section to talk about the de aging? We could do that now. Why don't we just okay, do it now? Let's let's do that now because I what I will say is. Um, I, I was, I'm not against the idea of them doing the de-aging for that beginning scene. It sure. wasn't clear in the trailer whether, because we knew the film had to do with time travel, and then we saw yeah. Young Indy in the trailer. And right. so it wasn't clear in the trailers the context of those scenes. Um, and so then I was actually surprised to find out that, yeah, that the only de-aging is actually a flashback at the beginning of the scene, mm. or at the beginning of the movie. Yeah. Um, there are, there's one or two moments talking about what could have been done better. And yeah. I don't know why I don't, for the life of me, I don't know why Disney can't get their deep fake shit together. I don't know why they're so bad at it and everybody else, <laughs> like dummies on the internet, get the footage the next day and they're like, well, I fixed it. And it's like, well, you sure did. Jeez, hire this guy. Um Having said that, there are there's a couple of moments where it looks janky, like his the de aging looks weird. Yeah, but there are also some moments where, when it's done, I I don't know if he's just like lit differently or not lit as well, so it's not easy to tell or what have you. There are some moments where it's incredible in this. 
Yeah. It kind of dips back and forth between, ooh, that looks weird and not polished and <laughs> awful. Uh, but then also moments where it's like, holy shit, it's young Harrison Ford. Like, yeah. that's incredible. Like, I don't know. Like, yeah. Is this archival footage? Is this clearly it's not, but like, it's just, it looks amazing. And so, and I don't know. I don't know if it's just we need to be more selective until we really perfect that technology. I think we need to rely a little bit more on shadows on faces and dim lighting and whatever else to kind of hide a lot of the bumps and mm. and bruises in this technology. I don't know. Mm-hmm. Um, really, that, like, and then anything else that... I have to say negatively anything yeah. else that I have to say that I was like, Ooh, like he, he's got a problem here. Um, really fall into the anti Kathira time travel conversation. Sure. Um, sure. The, well, the one thing I, the one thing I can say about it now that doesn't get into the paradoxes and stuff like that is there seems to be a lot of, well, I'd say, I'd say, let me say one more thing and then why don't we just get sure, into it? We'll just jump into that. Okay. So well, all I would say is, wouldn't it have been neat in the context of how this could have done better? Wouldn't it have been neat in the context of the Oscars and Harrison Ford handing the Oscars and everything everywhere all at once to mm-hmm. have short round return? Mm-hmm. I mean, that would have been neat and maybe maybe it wouldn't have made sense, but... No, I think it would make sense. And I think it was a lost opportunity. I think Missed so opportunity. Too. I thought I 100% so with Ki-Hu Kwan oh. being on the scene the way he is right now. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. I yeah. thought it. It seemed. It you seemed kind of crazy to me that he didn't make an appearance. I think that's. I think you're hitting it on the nail on the nail on the head because it's not just a missed opportunity. Like it would be the hottest commodity, and it just oh, seems yeah. bizarre. But yeah, you know. Anyway, even in so a yeah. post credit scene or whatever, like oh. if it was a very last minute thing. Yeah, and they could only right. get them for one day of shooting or whatever it is. Yeah, because all, all this has gone down probably since post production was kind of done. Yeah, truly. But yeah. Oh man. All right. Well, let's get into it. Like, let's. Okay. Put on your learning cap. Okay. There seems to be a lot of confusion out there on how the Antikythera works, and and part of that is is due to the fact that I don't think the film does the best job of laying it out in a straightforward sense. If only there was a 10-minute scene at the beginning of the movie. (laughs) Shut up. The (laughs) Antikythera is not a time travel device. That, and I'm not, I'm not being facetious. That, is it, like, this sounds dumb saying that, but like, that we know of. (laughs) No, 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 I mean, even in the film. Oh, okay, yeah, 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 okay. In the film, yeah, true, 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 true. it's not a time travel device. The right. way that the time travel is laid out in Indiana Jones' Dial of the Destiny, mm. or Dial mm-hmm. of Destiny, yep. is that there are naturally occurring mm. fissures in time. True. Wormholes that open up in the space-time continuum. Yep. That for some reason just so happen to only open at higher altitudes, which is why you really kind of need a plane in order to use them. Mm-hmm. Um, but they only open at these higher altitudes. And what the anti- 
Antikythera is, is a compass, more or less, to help you navigate to mm. the correct fissure that you're looking for yep. in order to travel through that wormhole, supposedly. Sure. What we then discover is that the Antikythera was only ever going to direct, that it was a beautifully, wonderfully done callback, set up and callback, set up and payoff to seeing Hannah do a magic trick earlier in this movie. Where Hannah's doing a magic trick and she explains that it's a stacked deck. That yep. she is giving the illusion of choice when really she's forcing a decision upon the mark or the person that you're doing the trick for. And the Antikythera is the exact same thing. It We discover that it's a stacked deck, that the user has the illusion of choice, but that it is only ever, was only ever, going to point to the fissure in time that leads them back to Archimedes' time because he wanted someone from the future with more technology and, and future advancements to come and help him and his people during this invasion of Greece. Yep, yep. Stacked deck. Beautiful, beautiful setup and, and callback. Now, Indy talks a little bit about continental drift and that all the equations are, are wrong because what the Nazis are wanting to do in this film the 1980s Nazis, or whenever this film is set. When is it set? It's like the 70s? 1969. Late 60s? Okay. The, the 1969 Nazis are wanting to... They hold Hitler accountable for losing the war. They think he, he did a poor job of leading. And it's his fault. Mm -hmm. And so their plan is to go back, kill Hitler, assume power... And win the war. Right. And so, but Indy, Indy says, well, Archimedes wouldn't have taken, they hadn't discovered continental drift when mm. they made the, the Antikythera. Mm -hmm. So your calculations are going to be off. It turns out, and maybe this is a plot hole, maybe this is lazy writing, this is kind of question number one, mm. is if it is in fact a stacked deck, and the dial was always going to take them where it took them, then it turns out that con continental drift didn't make a difference. Mm. Right? That, that that was a false theory on Indy's part. Yep. Cool. Um, and which, it must which, have not made I'm a okay difference. With, which I'm okay yes, with. Yes, and it, it must have not made a difference because if it was, in fact, continental drift and not a stacked deck, then it's a very lame and cheesy and just furthering the plot kind of coincidence that it took them back to the time of Archimedes. Mm. Right? Like, that's just weird and lazy and and far too convenient of a plot device. So, turns out continental drift doesn't make a difference. Fine, great. Mm -hmm. Moving on. 
A couple of weird things, a couple of weird plot holes about the Antikythera itself. Okay, so this thing is a compass. Great. Voller's only had possession of this dial in two pieces, or in one whole piece ready to go for, like, maybe a couple of hours. So it doesn't really kind of... It's a little bit of a stretch to assume that he is able to figure out how to navigate to the fissure that he's looking for and how it all works. And it's, you know what I mean? Like it just, all of a sudden he gets his hands on it and he's an expert. Right. So maybe, I mean, he'd been studying it for years, but, but didn't really actually have it with them. He just had a bunch of theories. I don't know. Hard to say, blah, blah, blah. (laughs) Secondly, the dial is two-dimensional, mm. which doesn't really work when you're navigating on two different axes, mm. three-dimensionally, three different axes, hmm. right? Because what happens if you tilt the dial up or down? Right. Like, it can direct you side to side, but the second you tip it forwards or backwards... Well, you're now no longer being pointed at the correct... Do you know what I mean? Hmm. Which isn't my paradox, and ultimately I don't care. That's just sure. a small little plot it hole. Just, and these are I'm all just out. small little things. Yeah, okay. okay. So, Indiana Jones, when they finally reach the tomb of Archimedes... Sure. There's a couple of weird things. Archimedes appears to have a watch. <laughs> Which they believe at the time, and the phoenixes on Archimedes' tomb (laughs) have propellers. Sure. At the time, they assume that that is evidence that Archimedes was a time traveler and must have gone forward in time, retrieved a watch, saw a plane, did whatever. Was it... I don't know if we... My... Per interpretation of it, I don't know about the propeller part, but for the watch part was just that he was so advanced in his mathematics and inventiveness. Oh, no, because a watch isn't created for like another thousand and a half years. No, he was just... No, I'm, they I'm say well aware because they, they, s- they said that, but like I, I think I interpret it as, maybe I'm misinterpreting it, that it just, it was his inventiveness and his... Ahead of the timeness was the explanation of how he had the watch at that moment in the film. Oh no, they they even say like oh so he, he like he figured it out. He must have figured it out, and he uh, you know, blah blah blah. Yeah, they allude okay. to the fact that okay he that Archimedes was a time traveler. Okay, okay, okay. And so then they themselves go back, and obviously all of the things now all of a sudden the plane makes sense. Yeah, and the watch makes sense. It's actually mm-hmm. Indy's watch, and it's the German plane, German war plane that that they mm-hmm. see fall out of the sky, you know, blah, blah, blah. Okay, great. And even when we see Mads Mikkelsen putting the watch on, Indy kind of raises his eyebrow going, oh. Yes. And so, and then something interesting also happens where we see that Archimedes has the dial... He's currently constructing the dial, but 
is struggling or can't quite figure it out or something. Mm-hmm. Because when he sees the completed dial from the future, he says, oh, Eureka. Yeah. Like it may, it, it clicks. <laughs> All of a sudden he understands how to complete it. Yeah. And then they come back forward in time. Um, Indy wants to stay behind. Indy, this sort of like, you know, my wife has left me. I've kind of given up on life. I'm just going to stay here. (laughs) Yeah. And Hannah won't let him because she's well aware that the butterfly effect and so on and so forth. Like, you're going to Marty McFly yourself. You are going to seriously screw up all of history if you stay here. Mm. Great. Here's where some of the paradoxes come in. Number yeah. one, and this is this isn't a paradox. It's just kind of a weird. This mm-hmm. is something something to think about, and it can be explained away. And this isn't an issue, but it's it's something that they don't touch on in the film, hmm. regardless of whether or not Indy stayed behind. A warplane crashed into ancient Greece. <sighs> And there's German bodies littering the ground that should not have otherwise been. Like, shit's already been changed. The past has been affected, regardless of whether Indy stays behind or not. Yeah, for my... Maybe we're saying the same thing here, but what's done is done. Like, I don't think... I think Indiana could have stayed, and that would have been how it had always had been. I think sure. the past, like what has happened, I don't, I think it's, without, I don't know the technical terms, but I don't think it's a Marty McFly situation where if he stays, the milkshake will never be invented. I think he had no. always been there. If that, uh, maybe we're on the same page here. Yes. So, but then, okay. So here's where we get into things, right? Because okay. if, if, because it was talking about, we were, Archimedes says, we were always going to meet. I was always mm. going to meet you. Okay. Evidence of the fact that when Indy mm. gets to the tomb, okay. the watch is already on Archimedes, the propellers are already on the tomb. Hmm. Right, that's that's destined to happen. Yep. Yeah, and yeah. so here's where we get into paradoxes. Okay. So there are many different types of paradoxes out there. Sure. Many types. Um, it seems to me like what's happening, the time loop that's happening in this film. This is the part that I need us to make sense of in order for me to give this a wildly positive review. Okay. There's no pressure. <laughs> it seems like the paradox that's happening here is what's called a casual loop. Mm. So temporal paradoxes fall into three broad groups. There's bootstrap paradoxes, hmm. consistency paradoxes, and what's called a newcomb paradox. Bootstrap paradoxes violate causality by allowing future events to influence the past and cause themselves, or bootstrapping. Um, then you have uh, consistency paradoxes, 
are those where future events influence the past to cause an apparent contradiction, exemplified by the grandfather paradox. Mm. The grandfather paradox, uh, where a person travels to the past to kill their own grandfather, therein undoing the ability for them to have been born, so on and so forth, Mm. right? Which is a little bit more of like a back to the future type thing. Yeah, 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 that sounds familiar. So the bootstrap paradox... A bootstrap paradox, also known as an information loop, um, is an information paradox, or a pre, also known as a predestination paradox, is a mm. paradox of time travel that occurs when any event, such as an action, information, an object, or a person, which ultimately causes itself. This theoretical proposition, which has been... Um, posited to occur as a consequence of either retrocausality or time travel. Such, cause, uh, such casually looped events then exist in space-time, but their origin cannot be determined. Hmm. The terms of predestination paradox are sometimes used in fiction to refer to referred to as a bootstrap paradox, so on and so forth, backwards time travel would allow for casual loops involving events, information, people, or objects whose histories form a closed loop and thus seem to come from nowhere. The notion of objects or information that a self-existing in this way is often viewed as paradoxical with several offers, authors referring to a casual loop involving information objects, so on and so forth. So, if Indy does in fact, if Indy taking back the Antikythera and Artemides seeing it is in fact what causes Artemides to be able to complete the Antikythera, which is the device that allows Indy to go back in the first place, then we have an issue. Right? Because how could Indy ever get back if Archimedes doesn't complete it, which if he can't complete it without Indy coming back to show him the completed one, then we have a bootstrap paradox. (laughs) Right? And so... The question becomes, what, where in time does this start to make sense? Hmm. Same thing with the watch. In order for Indy to reach the tombstone, or the, the tomb, and see the watch there, without already having gone back, changing the past, and leaving a watch in ancient Greece, then the watch can't be there without it being paradoxical. Does this make sense? Are you tracking with me so far? I'm I'm opening the wiki page because I'm I'm following, but I'm also not just you explaining it, but when I watched the film, I was kind of going the Keanu Reeves, whoa. Whoa. Yeah. So right? I'm following so, you, but I'm so not Indy, following you. So if if Indy arrives prior to going back in time, right? So in Back to the Future, sure, right? 
Yep. When Marty leaves, yeah. his parents are lame as shit. <laughs> yeah. Yes. He goes back and he affects the past. Correct. And then when he gets back to the present, his parents are cool. Sure. Because yep. he incur he he hyped up his dad and his dad mm-hmm. decked Biff. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So and that all makes sense and that works. In that paradox, yeah. Right? Think of it this way. In in also in that same scene in Back to the Future, when Marty first meets Doc at the mall, it says Twin Peaks. Twin Pines Mall. Yeah. When he goes back in time, he runs over one of the pine trees <laughs> on on Old Man Peabody's <laughs> pine breeding farm. Yeah. When he comes back to 1985, it then says Lone Pine Mall because of what he's done in the past. Now, the only and and that makes sense. And that but that's not what's happening with Indiana Jones. What's happening with Indiana Jones would be that Marty arrives at the mall at the yep. beginning of the film, and it's already called Lone Pine Mall. Right. And then he goes back in time right. and runs over a tree creating a Lone Pine, and when <laughs> right. he comes back, it's still Lone Pine Mall. So mm. if we took the Back to the Future principle yep. and applied that to Indiana Jones, then what it would look like would be Indy arrives and there's the tomb and it looks like a normal tomb yeah. and there's Archimedes without a watch yeah. and then they go back in time and when they get back, if they're still at Archimedes' tomb or yep. they happen to go back to Archimedes' tomb, now then. there's a watch and there's propellers on the thing because they've gone back and caused that. Sure. So where's so, the problem? Where Where's the problem then? Well, so then the problem becomes if... What it means is that when Indy arrives prior to going back in time and sees the watch and the propellers, yeah, Indy has to have already gone back in time for those to be there in his current timeline. They have to be. They have to have gone back. Because in his current timeline, in the present, in, in the past of his existing timeline... Indiana Jones was there with an airplane and a watch. Even though our Indy hasn't gone back yet. But still, in Indy's current timeline, before he ever goes back in time, future him has already gone back. He has to have, because otherwise the watch and the propellers wouldn't be there. And so, I think this makes sense if... And so that's a paradox. And it also creates the issue. So that's just the watch and the propellers. The big issue is him showing Archimedes how to complete the Antikythera. Because that creates the, if the device isn't created without you using the device to go back and help create the device, Mm. then that's a, sure, that's a time loop that once that time loop exists, can self-serve itself and keep going in in perpetuity forever. But how does that time loop begin? Right? How do you get Indy back in the first place 
with the completed device to show Archimedes how to complete the device. So this this is this I think it can be explained. I think it can be explained. But what what I, were you gonna say? Well, all I'm saying is I'm confused now. It's complicated. And the things that I would say is one, it is a plot for me, like and I'm not saying that you're not saying this, but for me it's a plot point that even if quantum physics wise or definitive wise, maybe there's some loopholes. I don't know if that is a plot breaker for me. And I think in my head, and maybe I'm oversimplifying it, how I interpreted it. Maybe this is what you're saying. I'm still having trouble wrapping around all these three, you know, the three different temporal paradoxes and where this one falls in. I think where I'm falling is Indy had always been to the past, clearly, but because how? we had, we see, but we we've got the watch there. I'm just talking it out. He's yeah, got yeah, the yeah. propeller on the tomb. He's always been there. He was always meant to go back because he had been there before, and that's just part of the loop in that context. Yeah, I think it's a bit of a plot. Like I think where I'm crossing hairs where it does not make sense is the whole you can't leave your device here because Archimedes has to make his own. That seems contradictory to me because in this whole situation, because India had always been there, he can't Marty McFly things because he was always meant to be there. But so also, seems, how does but how does that loop start, right? And so I, once, and once I don't he's have gone an back for, once, and I don't have an answer for that. And what I'm thinking, like what I'm trying to ask is, isn't that one of the loops in in its definition that like it's just kind of this infinite circle with no beginning or no end? Yes, but that then is a paradox, and a paradox by definition contradicts itself and isn't possible, hmm. right? It's not possible. So, and if it's not possible, if this is in fact a paradox, it hurts this film a great deal personally for me. So this is this is how sure. I think we can make it make sense. Sure. You kind of have to, in, in, to follow my theory, you kind of have to not look at time so much in a linear sense. No. Um, okay, so... For those who don't know, this battle that's happening in Greece at the time, that battle is the end of Archimedes. Archimedes is killed during this fight. I found that super disappointing Yeah, when I realized that. Yeah. Um, So, this makes sense if... So in back so again using back to the future just because just because it's it's a reference point that a lot of people can make sense of. Sure. When Marty comes back to 1985, he goes back a couple minutes early, allowing himself to see um his previous self travel through time. Mm-hmm. Right? Get in the DeLorean and and run away from the Libyans and and accidentally go back in time. And so there's a loop that's created there. That will always continue to happen because that Marty that he just watched go back a couple days later will come back to that point, be where 
our Marty is standing and see the next version of himself travel through time. And that will continue forever and ever and ever and ever. Right? We're tracking? Mm-hmm. 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 So, Indiana Jones and the Dial of Destiny makes sense if... Because here's the thing. So it's so complicated, but you have to think about it this way. In that loop, that loop in the second cycle of the loop moving forward. (laughs) Okay, so think about it. Marty, Doc gets shot, (laughs) right? And and dies. He's shot to death by the Libyans. Mm -hmm. Marty goes back because Marty leaves that note with Doc for Doc to read. Doc then equips himself. Doc does finally decide what the hell, tapes it back together, reads it, and equips himself with a bulletproof vest, saving his life. He still gets shot, but it saves his life. Now, when our Marty, we'll call him Marty Prime, the Marty that we're following in the movie, right? When our Marty initially travels back in time at the start of the film, Doc doesn't have a bulletproof vest on. He's shot and killed. It's because of his actions in the past that when he comes back, Doc has a bulletproof vest. Doc Prime, our Doc, has a bulletproof vest. Now, Marty 2, which is the Marty that Marty Prime sees going back in time when he arrives back at the mall a couple minutes early. You tracking so far? A little bit. Okay, Marty 2, in Marty 2's timeline, in his world, because of Marty Prime's actions, when Marty went back and left the note, Marty 2, when Marty 2 arrived at the mall, that doc, his doc, already always had a bulletproof vest on. Because in the past, Marty Prime left him that note. And so in every cycle, when Marty 2 comes, you know, goes back, has the exact same adventure in the past, leaves the note, does whatever, comes back to the mall a couple minutes early, just in time to see Marty 3, you know, run away from the Libyans. And this will continue on and on and on and on and on forever and ever and ever. All future versions. Doc Prime, when we leave, doesn't have a bulletproof vest, but all future versions you know, Marty 2 through a Googleplex. When they arrive at the mall, Doc has got the bulletproof vest. That's just that's just how it works because of the actions of the first time that time travel happened. Make sense? <laughs> sure. No, no, no. Does it? I am so confused right now. Wait, so what are you confused about? So, I, like, I, ask questions, because this not, is important to me. I, okay, let me, let me. I, I guess I should clarify. I'm not really confused with the explanation you're giving. Yes. I think I'm just confused with all, like, with the three different paradoxes and where, like, well, where... Well, ignore all those. Ignore sure. all those. Okay. Yeah. So, but you understand the Back to the Future concept. Yeah, 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 yeah. Right? And what I'm saying with Marty Prime and the Marty 2 yep. and Marty 3. Yep. Okay. So... Marty Prime changes the way that it's going to be in that loop forever moving forward. Ergo, Doc is going to have a bulletproof vest on. So, 
which kind of creates a weird thing in and of itself because then when Marty 2 goes back, Doc already has a bulletproof vest, so it's not really necessary for him to leave that note, but he's going to leave it anyways and so on and so forth. Now, the Indiana Jones thing makes sense on two on two um, conditions. Number one is that Archimedes was always going to eventually figure out the dial. He had to have, mm-hmm. right? He was at some point between when Indiana Jones and the Nazis arrive in Greece and Archimedes' death, he was going to complete it. That was always going to happen. He was going to think about it a little harder, so on and so forth, and he was going to figure it out. All that Indy coming back does is help, it gives them a little boost. It helps expedite that figuring it out process. Mm. Yep. The So that's condition number one. Condition number two is that this is at least, that, that the Indiana Jones that we're following, that we've followed for all of these films, or at, at the very least this film, is not Indiana Jones Prime. He's Indiana Jones 2. This mm. is at least the second Indiana Jones in the cycle. Meaning that when Indiana Jones Prime arrived at the tomb of Archimedes, they didn't see a watch and they didn't see propellers on the tomb. When they go back, they change all that stuff. Ergo, when our when the Indiana Jones that we're watching, which is at least Indiana Jones 2, arrives there, he sees Doc's bulletproof vest. He sees the changes that were made in the past by Indiana Jones Prime, which is the watch on Archimedes and the propellers on the tomb. See, I'm... Is it not... And I don't know where this falls into the other explanations or how it contradicts or goes in line with yours. Am I missing something where is there not just one Indiana Jones instead of saying prime and two and whatnot? Is it just not Indiana Jones and it's it's always the one and it's his timeline and his timeline, like you said, you don't view it from a linear perspective his timeline was always living throughout his years until 1969, where then he was existing in 2000 BC, and then he returned to 1969. So it's less of a loop, less of a, you know, the explanation more is it's all about his existence in time from his perspective where it was always his present and that it just happened that his present at one point was 2000 BC before returning to 1969. Do you understand what I'm saying? I I do, but there's in time travel, there's never just one. Hmm. Okay. Because if Indiana Jones, if the Indiana Jones that we saw, if they returned, I assume that, that they were like, if they were to return, much earlier, if they came back to the present, but instead of coming to the point that they left, they came back five hours earlier. Mm. 
and then went to and beat Indiana Jones, the one that we see go to Archimedes' tomb, if they went there five minutes before Indiana Jones is supposed to arrive, they'll see themselves arrive there. But would he? Yes. No. Of course they would. Because it's not... It's not... I, I'm getting a little trippy because I'm a little lost in the weeds, and I'm also tired, but it's not necessarily time. This sounds really trippy. I'm not even sure what I'm trying to articulate If you're here. sitting in your chair right now, and you yeah. push a button that allows you to go back a week in time, right where you're sitting right now, mm-hmm. you push a button, and it allows you to go back a week in time. And you spend an hour. You spend an hour. You spend an hour. Well, no, 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 not even, not even yourself from a week ago. Ignore that guy. Screw that guy. You go back and you push the button. You spend an hour in a week ago. Then you push a button to come back, but instead of coming back to the exact moment you left, you come back five seconds before the moment you left. For five seconds, you'll see yourself sitting there, and then you'll see yourself push that button. Because at that point in time, at 9.07 on this date, that's when you push that button to go back. So you will see yourself. The same way that Marty saw himself in the parking lot go off through time. Because he came back early so that he would have time to warn Doc. He didn't have enough time to warn Doc, but it didn't matter because Doc taped the letter back together and read it anyways and equipped himself with a bulletproof vest. Right, right. So there's always more than one. Fair. There's always, and, and there's always a loop. And it has to be a loop because when Indy arrives there, there can't just be one Indy because Indiana Jones, when he gets there, has already gone back in time and changed the past. So it's a loop. Hmm. There will always be an Indiana Jones going back in time. But there hasn't always been an Indiana Jones going back in time. See, that's where it gets weird. If you go back before the time that he goes back to, then obviously there's no Indiana Jones going back. It's, it's super complicated. Anyways, I've made sense of it myself it takes a which is allowing me to give a positive review it's a little it's still it's still messy and it's a little bit of a stretch from a writing standpoint and i'm not thrilled about it sure but it's hopefully the listener marshall tell me if this made sense (laughs) right the loop and the whole like whatever right that the first time when indie prime went to that tomb before Indy had ever gone back, mm-hmm. those the watch wasn't there. That stuff wasn't there. But if what we're seeing is at least the second rotation in the loop, then Doc has got his bulletproof vest. The mm-hmm. watch is in the tomb. The propellers are on the the, the phoenixes, mm-hmm. and so and will be forever after. Even though those future versions of Indiana Jones have yet to go back themselves. It doesn't matter because the previous Indy in the cycle's loop, in the loop's cycle, whatever it is, has has gone back and done those things. Mm-hmm. Anyways, moving on. Moving on. So, in summary then, is yes. the, would you say this is a good film and how does this leave your perception <laughs> of Indiana Jones? <laughs> I would say it's an excellent film. I think it's okay. the perfect ending to Indiana Jones' story. Okay. I think they could have 
I think a couple of minutes of of explaining some of what I like someone who could craft it into some really sensible exposition to make sense of some of those time travel paradoxes. Mm. Um, I think that that would have gone a really long way for me um, and saved me a lot of online reading and theorizing and, and (laughs) having to learn thermal dynamics. Um, But uh, all in all, perfect ending to his story. Perfect ending to his story. Really felt, you know what? The thing about Crystal Skull is at no point does Crystal Skull feel, like regardless of whether it's a good movie, bad movie, whatever, at no point does it feel like an Indiana Jones movie. Like it doesn't feel like an Indiana Jones adventure. This feels like an Indiana Jones movie. Good or bad, love or hate it. Dial of Destiny feels like an Indiana Jones adventure. And so, yeah, it's 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 great. I think, you know, it's the sequel that nobody asked for, but we got it anyways, and I'm super glad that we did. Um, yeah. yeah. Um, soundtrack. Thoughts? Oh, well, yeah, I mean. <laughs> duh. I, I, this is sounding weird. I can't actually even recall the theme for Dial of Destiny. What are you talking about? Well, the actual... No, that's the Indiana Jones theme. (laughs) Yeah, I know what you mean. Oh, okay. I was like... I mean, here's the the thing, though. Because, like, this isn't John Williams. What do you mean? What do you mean? What do I mean? What do you mean it's not John Williams? I don't think this is... I I, I think it's... It's clear. It's absolutely him. Is it? 100%. Are you sure? Uh, a, a one minute YouTube reel told me that it was. <laughs> well, then, for, for sure. No, I mean, I, 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 if you say it is, I trust Says you. Music by John Williams on uh, Wikipedia. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Well, then I it know. must be. And you're right, because it's a valid question, because Spielberg didn't return, so... The question would right be, and, and well, and it's not even just that. It's like here's the thing, right? Like it, it just because John Williams' music is used, sure, doesn't mean that John Williams necessarily scores the film, mm. right? So, like an example is John Williams wrote bum 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 the Harry mm-hmm. Potter thing. Um, but I think he's only there for the first two films. He only scores Correct. the first two films. Yeah, and after that, else somebody credited. else is scoring them, but yeah. still using his bum, 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 bum. No, this right? is credited so, to John Williams. Okay. Okay. Yeah. So there you go. Um, yeah, I would just say the theme doesn't stand out for me. I could not recall it, but especially powerfully in the opening kind of flashback sequence, they used a lot of themes and mantras from uh, Raiders, from Temple, and from Last Crusade that were very noticeable for me. And so I really got a retro kick out of that. I really enjoyed that. So See, and that's just a difference in how our minds work because the only music that I know from any of the Indiana Jones <laughs> films is the Indiana Jones theme. Right? Yeah. Like, you're saying, like, I, I don't recognize the Dial of Destiny theme. And I'm like, I don't recognize, like, if you're asking me right now to hum the Raiders theme, I, I don't 
I don't know what it is. It, there, I listen. I won't geek out, but like when when he was hanging on the noose and then like the beam fell on the ground, there was this this little playful tone that went like, "Oh, this is the theme that they play when the boat sinks in in the opening of of Last Crusade, and this is playing." Or, uh, "Oh, like this is from the train sequence in the opening of uh, uh, Last Crusade." Like there were just different key moments that I'm like, "Oh, like this is this is kind of fun, and this is kind of like." kicking up the past and and kind of john williams just doing his thing and i loved it but yeah this is you you said this before and i think this is the last thing for the film how do you what do you think about james mangold's portfolio now that you've seen this like i know you're a right. walk the liner but we'll, we'll talk about that well i'm a walk the liner i'm a loganer he did logan oh see i haven't seen logan oh my i've seen three ten to you my two that i put on here as far as like my top two i'd probably say i like indiana jones more than walk the line yeah and i'd say i like indiana jones more than three ten to yuma but those are all three strong films right well you're wrong about one of those um (laughs) but yeah no you know what i i think james mangold is a master he did the wolverine he did logan he did ford v ferrari he did, yeah, as you said, three ten to Yuma. Um, he did Kate and Leopold, which a lot of people don't like. I like Kate and Leopold. I've seen so. it once, but I have fond memories of it. Yeah, man. When and I'll stop you right there. Everything that you're listing off is so different. It's like, so it's such, different. It's such, and I don't mean this. I mean this as a compliment. It's such a weird collection of films. Mm-hmm. Like it's well, not and like he's all, currently in pre-production for a Star Wars movie. Right, right. So, so it's like, not like all westerns are all wrong. Yeah. Like it's just like everything. But ne- so all those, all of that to say, I'm very much a James Mangold fan and cannot wait to see what he does with Star Wars. Okay. Yeah. Oh yeah, me too. Yeah. What me about too. you? You yeah, James Mangold fan. I. You know what? I wouldn't have said that before, but I appreciate his work. Um, and you know, I'm I'm not a fanboy, but. It's hard to argue. All these films are either, you know, when you're touching on things like Star Wars and Indiana Jones and people aren't upset about it, you're doing something right. So, yeah. yeah. Okay. The last thing I want to wrap this on is there's the Big Bang Theory. And you're probably familiar with this in your pop culture awareness. Yeah. Where- mar- I got to be honest, marginally. Like, okay. I've seen maybe the first two seasons. Mm-hmm. Like, six or seven years ago so let me walk you through this so the whole premise is one character in big bang ruins raiders of the lost ark for the other in that when the film finishes in this show that they're watching it together they go wow indiana jones is really pointless like he has no role in the outcome of the story in that so in raiders if indiana jones had just sat at home and ate popcorn the Nazis still would have died from the Ark and nothing would have needed to be done. Nothing truly. would change. Like all his efforts were for, for nothing. And when you think about he's it... Tied up the, he's tied up the whole time. He's tied up the whole like, time. Yeah. And when you think about it, all his adventures are the exact same. Maybe Temple of Doom is the one where he, if he hadn't, uh, if he had stayed at home and eaten popcorn, the kids wouldn't have been rescued. So that's the exception. In, in, the, la- in the Holy Grail... The Nazis could have all gone there, and as soon as they had taken the cup over the seal, they would have all died. In yep. Crystal Skull, 
He could have just let the Russians go to town. They all would have been mutilated. And even in Dial of Destiny, the Nazis would have destroyed the Romans and would have crashed their planes anyway. So, I mean, literally, he gets, he he made a joke of this where he, you know, he's got a plate in one knee and screws in the other and he drank the blood of Kali and his bones hurt and his vertebrae are shredded. And sadly, it's a bit all for nothing just because. Yep. <laughs> well, listen, hang on. Indy never saves the day, but he almost always gets the artifact. Sure. Don't think of it as he's there to save the day. He's sure. there to stop the bad guys because he's not. He's not. His mission is and is always to go retrieve an artifact, and he just goes through hell in the process. You know what? I think you've ad- adequately wrapped that bow for me. That that's a yeah. That's legit. Yeah, yeah. Scale right. of zero to ten, sir. How would you rank Indiana Jones and the Dial of Destiny? I think it's good. I think I gave it a seven out of ten. So for context, I'd give Raiders a nine. Last Crusade an eight. I'd give this a seven. And for different reasons, I'd give Crystal Skull and Doom a six. So this movie was good. Good enough that I was happy to see it twice. And yeah, it really does it justice. I, as, although I thought it could have been a bit, a bit smoother at the end, it really wraps the story home for us. If Indiana Jones brings us all to tears. And it was a lot of fun. Look, could have used some short round, could have had some improvements, but overall, it's a good movie. What, mm. what did you give it out of 10? I give it a nine. Oh, wow. Okay. Yeah. It's just a lot of fun. It's it a lot of fun. And I didn't really mind is. him being old. Like, I really at all. didn't mind him being old. Not at all. No. You know, I thought it was a, the perfect wrap up. Um, and, uh, you know, I don't, I, I think it'll be a long time. Before we need to see, and people are going to do well, we never need to see it, leave it alone. Listen, someday there's going to be an Indiana Jones remake. Just, I, I'm it's just telling you, happen. it's just, it's going to happen. And, and if it happens in 15, 20 years, there's nothing wrong with it happening. There's absolutely nothing wrong with it because I have all the movies still that I now know and love. <laughs> um, but, uh, I, yeah, I definitely, it's it's quenched my thirst. I I have no need anytime soon to see anything else done with this franchise. I think it was a, a nice little perfect ending. Um and and now I need to sit and debate if I'm going to subject myself to the young Indiana Jones adventures. Um I'm leaning heavily towards no. And uh <laughs> we'll just kind of see where it goes from there. Yeah. I feel it's too bad because from an intellectual property, I feel like nothing would intrigue me more than well-done series. Like, if they were made in modern day with a better budget, maybe as a mini-series, it appeals to me, but none of those movies look good. No. Isn't it a TV show? I think it's a TV show. No, I think it was movies. Really? I don't remember. I can't confirm, because it was from the 90s, and I, young, I was a kid. Young Indiana Jones Chronicles. Yeah. You look uh, it up, find an answer. TV series. TVs. Oh, it is a TV. Must be no. twenty-eight episodes. Frick. Yeah, man. Regardless, it doesn't look good. Yeah, nobody's in it that you've ever heard of ever. <laughs> Mister Molina. Yeah. Oh, Timothy Spall's in it. Oh, who's that? <laughs> Jeffrey Wright is in it. Oh, like the like Jeffrey- you, like your man Jeffrey Wright. Well, 
like color, color me surprised. Yeah, like you know, what's his face? What's his name? Uh, Felix. Felix. Felix uh, Leiter. The man, the myth, the legend. The James they, Bond connection continues. Yeah, the KFC guy. <laughs> yeah. What'd you watch this week? I watched the Carl Eastman connection. I watched two films that Carl Eastman can relate to. The one, uh, I watched The Man from Toronto, basically because Carl mentioned it on the movie news shows show, and the things he mentioned about it, I, I was interested in. I was like, you know what? I like Kevin Hart. I like Woody Harrelson a ton. And I'm in the mood for something that's kind of light and funny. And that's exactly what it was. So the 2022 film, The Man from Toronto, I gave it a five out of 10 was what it was. I don't need to watch it again, but it was a fun view and uh, had as much stuff that I liked as I hated. So for what it was, it was entertaining. And then the only other thing I watched was the 1988... (sighs) Land Before Time. I was going to say Steven Spielberg. I think he produced it. So I don't think he had, I don't think he directed it. I think he produced it. But the classic Land Before Time, I gave a six out of 10. It's not perfect. It's a little rough around the edges. The story's kind of so so. But man, there's some components of it that just, if they don't make you cry, I don't know what will. And now, little- did you watch it for you or did you plop your kids down? And say, I, look, I watched it with with my oldest child, and uh, okay. got some nostalgia bait going. You know, reminded yeah. me of the good, old good. days. But man, there's some parental moments where uh, things happen to some parents in that movie, and I was I was jerking a tear. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Anyway, six out of ten. What What did you watch this week? Um, I watched. Yeah, I just got back from watching. Mission Impossible Dead Reckoning Part One. Woo. Yeah. So I'm ready to talk about it. You gotta you gotta <laughs> sort your shit out and go see it. Get on it. Um so watch that. We finished season one of The Last of Us. Oh nice. Yeah. Yeah. Little I I'm gonna be honest, the final episode was a little anticlimactic for me. Oh. Yeah. Let's like leaves in a oh shit, where where are we gonna go from here? place um but was a little i don't know it just could have been bigger it was the mm. shortest episode of the season hmm. and so that's that's always a little weird to me i don't know um so i watched that then i watched the four part on disney plus i watched the four part um and also four hour long um documentary the secrets of hillsong oh yeah that was a it was, uh, it was a tough watch man because there's like mm. multiple people in that documentary um who i've met hmm. and so it just like yeah it was weird it was kind of like a close to home in a lot of ways you know like people you used to look up to and you're a fan of and blah 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 some you still are some you're not but there's just like a lot of like, you know, just a, just like an institution as a general, as a corporation that you used to look up to mm. um, and really hold near and dear and, and think fondly of. And mm-hmm. this is a lot of stuff, like even ongoing stuff, just like financial embezzling and, and just like all kinds of stuff. You're just like, ugh, just makes mm. you feel really gross. 
yeah. after watching it. So it was a tough what I I posted on Facebook and I said hard watch, comma, good watch. Because mm. it was. It was really good watch, really well done documentary. Um and um and one of the main figures in Hillsong's recent scandal history, um, being Justin Bieber's friend, the New York pastor, Carl Lentz. Um, he is in it, like has done interview, agreed to do interviews for it. Um, even though he has no control over the documentary, he didn't have any control over how they were going to present the narrative or, or any of those things. Um, which I think was really big of him and really, you know, would be a super scary thing to do after, you know, after finally successfully getting yourself to a point where you're kind of out of the limelight and you're living the quiet life. And uh, so to turn around and then agree to talk publicly about some of those things is kind of scary. Hmm. So, yeah. Those are really kind of the two things I watched this week. Cool. So, cool. yeah. I was actually, last night, I was at, and I was part of an outdoor movie thing um, helped set up a projector and some speakers and stuff oh, nice. um, so that a bunch of people could sit and watch Lightyear. Oh. Uh, and I chose not to watch it. I was like, I'm going to uh, sit on my phone and do other things. I'd rather <laughs> I'd rather sit in the dark outside <laughs> and do nothing than, than direct my attention to the screen and watch Lightyear. <laughs> so, yeah. Yeah, yep. that's it. I can Wrap relate it up, to sir. That. I can relate. I don't have, I don't remember enjoying that film, but thank you so much for joining us. Thank you for listening to the show. If you're a fan of Dial of Destiny, if you're a fan of Indiana Jones, if you're just a fan of us chatting, thank you for coming along for the ride. Uh, check out our Patreon page, our merchandise page. It's ways for you to help support the show, keep the show running, and for us to give you some perks back. Um, thank you for uh, following us. Please continue to do so. Reach out to us. Give us a like, comment, and feedback. We love hearing from you. And until next time, uh, just crank up that dial. Yeah, man. The next episode with Pete and I is going to be our Dead Reckoning episode. Dead so right. Keep that on your radar for a little, you know, Mission Impossible. I, I was going to, I, I, I missed the opportunity for if you, if you ex- choose to accept it. Mm. Kind of, yeah. We'll have our chance. Damn it. Damn it. <laughs>